Hello and welcome to this episode of HBCU. I'm your host, D. Brown, CEO. Joining me on the show today is Christopher Walker, a graduate of Dillard University. Chris, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Glad oh, to be here today. Man, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, I know you're zooming in from uh, sunny New Orleans and you're a graduate of Dillard University. So I want to just kind of take a step back in time and have you just to share with, share with me and my viewers how did you end up selecting Dillard University as your HBCU? Well, you know, in, in New Orleans, we have um, actually three. We have Southern of uh, New Orleans. Uh, we have Dillard University. We have Xavier University. Um, and in Baton Rouge, we have uh, Southern University of Baton Rouge. And we have Grambling in the middle of the state. And um, my grandmother lived down the street from Dillard University. So I grew up um, frequent in the area often and and. I think that was the place. I mean, my, my, my dad went to Xavier University. Our friends went to Xavier. We kind of split up. Yeah. Some of us went to Xavier. Some of us went to Dillard. But I think it was the oak trees. Um, if you ever Google the pictures of Dillard University, it's called the Avenue of Oaks. Okay. And um, it's a beautiful walk to class every day. So do you remember your freshman year, first make it, you first made it to campus? Do you remember what that was like? You know, it, it was... Um, it was nervous. Uh, I was very nervous the first day. I mean, you, you, with a bunch of kids from from all over the city and, of course, all over the country. And yeah. it was amazing to see that Dillard University, a small school, um, how many people from across the country actually came to the school. And sometimes I ask, how did y'all even know about Dillard University? <laughs> right, right. right. Um, but no, the, the first first day freshman was was nervous. But I mean, after the first few days, it was like being with family. So what were some of the, the, I guess, memorable experiences you had while you were at Dillard? Some of the, the most memorable experiences was, and, and I got to, you know, be honest, it's actually how I picked my career path, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a fourth generation general contractor. And um, when I was in school, I wasn't sure if that's what I wanted to do. And um, one of the things that, that really got my attention was Dr. Blair economics class. And Dr. Blair um, at the time was dating a lady by the name of Peggy. And she had a condo on St. Charles Avenue. And, you know, at a Dillon University, a small university, you get very personal with your your, your professors, right? It's not like the large universities. And um, Dr. Blair asked me if I was interested in renovating uh, Miss Peggy's condo on St. Charles. And I told him, absolutely. And um, we did it. We renovated it. It was about a $100,000 renovation. Um, actually, the profit margin was around 20%. And um, at that age, 20 years old, um, you know, it, it, it was very intriguing to see what kind of money you can make in the industry, right? Right. And I will never forget riding with my grandfather. I guess it's pivotal moments where you get other generations involved in in the family business. And I remember riding with him at the 610 I-10 split. I will never forget this. Yeah. I'll never forget him looking at me and say, son, you realize you can make a lot of money in this business. And I say, yes, I do. And I was hooked. Yeah. And what, what he forgot to tell me was. You could lose a lot of money in this business. (laughs) And um, I think that was that pivotal moment that I always remember with Dillard University, how it it, kind of changed my trajectory. Because I was thinking about going to law school um, at one time after Dillard. And um, at that moment, 
is when I realized this is what I want to do. So um, that's one of the pivotal moments yeah. as far as memories of, of Dilly. But I mean, besides that, I mean, all the fun you have at at uh, HBCUs. I what, mean, what are some of the signature events at Dillard uh, that kind of make it uh, different from the other HBCUs? Let me say the movie School Days. Uh huh. That was that was it, right? <laughs> and um, Spike Lee couldn't have hit it hit, hit, hit it better than what he did in School Days. And um, I mean, the, the biggest thing, you know, we don't have a baseball team. Dillard has a baseball team now. Dillard doesn't have a football team. Dillard doesn't have a band like a Southern University, right? Right. Right. Um, so basketball was our thing and Dillard and Xavier was the rivalries. Yeah. And that was the biggest game in town. And um, that was some of the big events um, on the campus was the Dillard Xavier rivalry games. Do you know a guy, Jesse Connerly? I think he's the coach at uh, Xavier, maybe. I do not know Jesse. He's a he's a general contractor as well. Um, we don't we don't worry about Xavier folks. <laughs> <laughs> so, who were some of the other, uh, I guess, teachers or staff members, professors that uh, helped mentor you while you were there? So, believe it or not, you know, just show you how small the city is. At the time, I did not know Dr. Chase. And Dr. Chase, I was a business major, and Dr. Chase was the dean of business. Well, if you're familiar with New Orleans, um, you should know Leah Chase's restaurant. Mm -hmm. And um, they're they're the brand family here in New Orleans. And Dr. Chase is the son of Miss Leah Chase. And um, Dr. Chase, once he knew who I was, he kind of took me underneath his wing over there at Dillard University. And, you know... Not that I know the history. At the time, I did not know that black families, that's where we ate at, right? Yeah. Leah Chase was was a big movement in the civil rights movement. Um, uh, Dr. King has eaten there. You know, presidents have eaten there. The Freedom Riders used to meet in a, um, a room on the second floor of the restaurant. And um, my grandfather used to take my dad and my aunt there every Friday and they would eat. And um, he was very, they were very good friends with the Chase family. At the time, I did not know that. Um, so Dr. Chase, and he was the dean of business, and, and actually we watched Zulu Mardi Gras Day at the Chase family restaurant. The, the king actually toasts still in front of the restaurant, even though Miss Leah Chase uh, passed away several years ago. And uh, every time he sees me, he pats me on the back and <laughs> he says, my steward, the contractor that's rocking and rolling here in the city of New Orleans. So, um you know, it just shows you how, how, how dots right. connect. Right. So when you uh, graduated from Dillard, uh, how did you begin your career in, to, in uh, general contracting? So I was working for my dad at the time. Um, and believe it or not, I graduated the year before Hurricane Katrina. Thank God. Um, and after Katrina, we started, uh, my dad kind of retired. And I kind of took over and I started the company CDW Services and started rolling from there. Um, we did a lot of debris pickup after Hurricane Katrina. Um, we were just talking the other day. Um, we did that for about two and a half, three years, which was debris pickup. Yeah. Um, I mean, the city was was um, devastated by the hurricane, and every home had to be gutted and thrown, you know, trash thrown out. So it was right. two and a half, a three of years of debris pickup. Yep. And then the renovations kind of started from there. And so you kind of got so your you start with doing renovations. Absolutely. And I mean, that's, you know, right now, 
um, you know, we're probably one of the largest African-American commercial construction uh, contractors here in the local area. Um, I mean, I'm proud to say it, but I'm also sad to say it, right? In a city that's predominantly African-American, there should be more of us doing it. Right. Um, there's probably one or two others, one in Baton Rouge, another uh, firm that's kind of just starting here. Other than that, outside of us, that's it as far as commercial contractors. Right. right. Um, and it's, it's, you know, we found our niche. You know, we found our niche in the commercial world. Um, we're not too small. We're not, we're not that small where we compete against the guys that's in the million-dollar range. And we have a little sweet spot, about $10 million. Um, we're, we're too big for the small guys, and we're too small for the big guys. Yeah. So we found us a little sweet spot that we can kind of stay and run in. And it's been um, it's been working for us. So uh, what type of projects are you all uh, working on? Right now, we're wrapping up a quadruplex baseball field for Plaquemines Parish government. Um, right now, we're doing an entire city block in Holly Grove. Um, and actually, it's an African-American developer, which you don't find many of those around here either, um, for Paul Irons. And we're working for them low-income housing. Um, we just finished a library in Port Sulphur. We just finished the district attorney's office in Plaquemines. Uh, we just finished the council building. And um, one of my my favorite projects of all time is McDonough 19. McDonough 19, if you're not familiar with it, um, it was integrated by three little girls, one of them by the name of Leona Tate. Um, believe it or not, they integrated the school a few blocks away and 15 minutes before Ruby Bridges integrated her school. And, you know, in history, these three girls kind of get lost to Miss Ruby. And um, they endured the same things Miss Ruby did. And when Miss Leona tells the story, it brings chills to me and, and, and tears to my eyes. You know, she was six years old. She said she thought it was Mardi Gras Day. And when you see pictures, it's police on horses, it's a bunch of police all over, it's crowds all over the neutral grounds and on the sidewalks. She said, Chris, I really didn't know what was going on. I thought it was Mardi Gras Day. And um, as the three little girls went to school, escorted by the marshals, the federal marshals, they sat them in three chairs outside of the principal's office, which was near the, the exit of the school, the front entrance of the school. And everyone pulled their kids out of school that day and called them names, racial slurs. Those three girls went to that school by themselves for almost two years. There was a pharmacist in the area that decided to send his daughter there. And they threatened to burn his pharmacy down and threaten his family, so he ended up yanking his kid out. So they went to school by themselves for two years. And now Miss Leona Tate bought the school. Because of Katrina, the school board decided to sell some properties off because we didn't get the population back in certain areas. And she said, I cannot let this happen. I cannot sell us to a developer to do something you know, with it. I need to own the school. And um, she did. She bought it. She co-developed with a, another company, Olympic Group. And she bought the school. And the second and third floor, we made elderly low-income living. And on the first floor, she put her civil rights museum. And uh, we up for all kind of national awards for that project. 
But I mean, when you talk about a feel good story, yeah, when you, yeah. when people ask you, do you like what you do? Right. And wh- why do you like what you do? And it's it's moments and it's jobs like that, that that really touches your heart. And what I loved about it, Miss Leona Tate said, Chris, I could not do this job without a black contractor. And she made sure and put the effort that a black contractor was involved. And um, gratefully, she chose us. And uh, I mean, we, that, that's that's one of my number one projects. Yeah, yeah, that's that that's an amazing play. story as well. Uh, I want to ask you about your grandfather because he's the first generation uh, in this uh, in the industry uh, within your family. So tell me tell me about your grandfather and how he uh, influenced you uh, on your career path. Well, my great grandfather was the first. Your great grandfather, okay. He was the first. Of course, I never met him. Okay. Um, my grandfather was was the second. Um, you know, my grandfather, he he was, you know, he 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 was instrumental in my life. I spent a lot of time with him. Um, you know, my dad doesn't like fishing. He doesn't like hunting. But my grandfather was a big fish. He was a big hunter. So we spent a lot of time together hunting and fishing. Yeah. And um, my grandfather, it, you know, it's I, I still hear it today. When I when I'm around the city and I introduce myself and people, you know, in this city, everybody knows everybody. So they want to know who's your parents. Right. <laughs> I got asked that at Mardi Gras so many times. Um, elderly people stop them and they're like, who's your parents? What's their name? What's your last name? What's your name? And then when I tell them, um, you know, it, it's amazing the good things you hear about them. And, you know, people tell me they're like at the time. In the 60s, they said your grandfather was the biggest black contractor there was, residential. He was a residential guy. And in New Orleans East, which is the newest section of the city, uh, my grandfather was very talented. He, he designed his own homes. I can't draw. He could draw. He would design his own homes, and um, he designed what he liked was Hawaiian tiki homes. And I tell people all the time, I say, if you ever was in a home in New Orleans East and you walked in and there was a bridge, as soon as you walk in a house and a pond underneath, yeah. I said, that was his home. That was one of his signatures. And um, after Katrina, um, someone told me he, he built this home 30 years, 40 years ago. And he said, your grandfather was before his time. He said he designed this house. And even after Katrina, when times have changed and open floor plans, he was like, the house is still, we're still able to use without changing anything. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you hear those stories and, and especially, I mean, look, I can only imagine what they dealt with in the 60s and in 70s. So it's, it's you know, to hear those things and the hurdles they, they went through and to still make it through, it's when times get rough for me and, you know, times get rough for us all that I look in the mirror and I'm like, if they did it. Right. You got to push through. Right. Right. So um, that, that that's that's um, he was very he was very instrumental in, in, in my career path. And so what about your dad? So your dad is third generation, right? That's correct. And he, he's actually still around today. He, he comes in. I mean, look, that's a book of knowledge that I can't. That's one thing I respect about, you know, older people is the book of knowledge, the experience. Right. Right. And, um, you know, sometimes he tells me go left and I go right. You know, and, and I get burnt. And he's like, I told he's like, I told you so. Yeah. And there's times he tells me go left and I go right. And 
I got to tell him. I told you so. <laughs> and, um, you know, one thing that I really appreciate with him is with parents of generational families and businesses, sometimes the parents get too controlling and they want to have still have a pulse on kind of what you do. And, um, you know, that's one thing I respect about my dad is that he's never he's never been controlling an aspect of the decisions I make in the business. He's never been um, he's never been hands on the pulse of, of of the decision making that I make. Now, I mean, he's very influential in the decisions I make. And I, yeah. I do. I do go to that book of knowledge. But um, that's one thing I respect about him having friends and other family businesses, how I see how the parents kind of interact. And, and he's kind of let me fly on my own. Yeah. Let me fly. Let me fall on my own. And when I fall, he's he's there to pick me up, you know. Right. Right. So how did uh, or how has Dillard University, uh, your experiences and your education there, how has that played a role in your uh, success as a businessman? Dillard, you know, and, I, and I'm going to give you a quick little history. Um I wanted to go to, my dad went to St. Augustine High School. My uncles went to St. Augustine High School. My brother went to St. Augustine High School. So I thought, my older brother, so I thought I was going to St. Augustine. St. Augustine High School is the last all-black Catholic school in this country, I believe. And um, they used to paddle kids there. Just recently, it's ran by the Josephites. They got rid of the paddle maybe eight years ago. It was a big, big deal. But... I thought that's where I was going. We moved to Slidell, which is about 30 minutes outside of New Orleans. And I ended up going to a school that was all white. Um, it was 350 students at times throughout my five years there from eight to senior. There was times where I was only black in the school. And it was, you know, look, I get along with everybody. And and, and Slidell is, has its, when we talk about very South, it's it has its um, underlying uh, race conditions out there, and, and and you know, as black people, I tell people we have intuition. We feel things. We we see things. We hear things. We feel p- things other people don't feel. And I remember my own my uh, cousin at the time told me I was very disappointed. I was there because I always thought I was going here, and then going to an all black school versus going to all white school is 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 two sides of the spectrum. Yeah, right. And uh, I remember my godfather telling me, "Say look." Look, when you get in business, you're going to deal with more whites than you deal with blacks. And that's just the reality of it. He said, so enjoy yourself there. Learn. And then when you graduate, go to HBCU. And that's exactly what I did. And and Dillard was like being at home. It was like being with family. Um, it was very comfortable. I mean, every one of the teachers I mean, I never had an issue with any of the teachers. If you had a problem in class, you talked to them. They were willing to help. They were willing to go that extra mile to see you succeed. I mean, from the finance office to everyone that worked on that campus, to janitorial, to the um, the maintenance guys. I mean, everyone there wanted to see you succeed. And I think that's one thing I've taken in my business is wanting to see other people succeed. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we do a great job, you know, we do a great job of hitting 50%, 60%, 70%, and 100% DBE participation. Um, Orleans Parish School and RSD had me speak one time at um, their public engagements because we were hitting such high marks 
on our DB goals yeah. where other yeah. contractors couldn't get 20% or 15%. So I've kind of made it a mission um, to help people along the way. Because if, if we're not helping people right. along the way, then then why are we doing it? Right. And and Dillard really instilled that in me. I mean, they, they it, I t- say it's a, it, it, Dillard gave me a water a few years back. And when I spoke, I said, look, they say it takes a village to raise a child. And I said, Dillard was my village. Right, right. Now, you, you touched on something that's kind of near and dear to me as well. And, you, you know, when you're talking about DBE uh, participation and how uh, for a lot of companies, it's, it's, it seems to be very difficult for them to uh, reach what sometimes seem to be very, you know, very modest uh, goals. What do you think the contributing factors are to many companies not being able to hit DBE uh, goals? And, it, you know, because obviously diversity, equity, uh, and inclusion is a, is a big deal uh, in the business world. I have my own opinions, but I would love to hear what your thoughts are about it as well. Scared, not knowing, ignorance, right? They like to use excuses and say DBs uh, cost more than other subcontractors. That's not necessarily true. Right. Um, you know, different areas, and New Orleans is a little unique, Right. One of the poorest cities in the country, um, one of the most uneducated cities in the country. And we don't have strong DBEs. Um, You know, one thing I was upset with Xavier University with is uh, one of the largest construction firms, Woodward Construction Area, teamed up with me. Xavier University was doing a 60 million dollar dormitory, new construction. And I have friends over there at Woodward. They brought me in. They brought me in as a 30% equity partner, 30, 35% equity partner. It's about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that's huge for me, right? We're about a $17 million a year company. And, you know, so that was huge for me. And Xavier ended up, we got came in second place. Xavier ended up awarding to somebody else. And I talked to a couple of the board members and I explained to them, I said, guys, You want inclusion. And when companies actually take the time to create inclusion, like we've been asking them for 400 years. Right. Then we have to reward them for it. Now, now, it's one thing if we weren't certified to do the job. Right. But that was not the case. Right. And I'm like, we have to start awarding, you know, uh, rewarding these companies. We're missing the mark. You know, I think that was um, one of the positive things about Floyd George, right, was uh, that companies started doing the outreach. Yeah. Black Lives Matter. They wanted the inclusion. And if we don't capitalize on it, then the movement was for nothing. Right. And I, I think that some companies and I get it because I'm not a subcontractor, I'm a general contractor. We put up bonds. We need the projects to go right. If the projects right. go wrong, then our name is bad, right. right? So I understand one side of the contractors as far as sometimes how they feel. But then what I find with my DB subcontractors, it's not that they don't know the work. It's really financial capacity. Yeah. You know, you start giving them larger jobs or you're trying to grow them. You're stretching them thin. And then it's paid when paid or paid if paid. Right. And you start stretching them a little thin. And I think these larger firms, 
they have the financial capacity to kind of come in and say, look, let us help fill those gaps. Right. How can we help fill those gaps? A lot of times it's really it comes down to money. You know, as far as the growth of these DB firms. And I think some of these contractors don't want to take the time or effort to to want to extend that help to those subcontractors. It's easy for them to say, I told you so. It didn't work. Right. Right. I told you so. It didn't work. Hey, Chris, as we get ready to wrap wrap the show up, I want you to take about 30 seconds and tell me why someone should choose Xavier. I mean, I'm sorry, Dillard University as their HBCU. Why you should choose Dillard University HBCU. Um, it's one of the distinguished universities around. Um, it's not your big name brand like a Southern uh, Morehouse. But if you're looking for a tight knit community, if you're looking for people that's going to take you in and guide you on a path, because believe it or not, those four or five years that you spent in college really changes the trajectory of your life. Right. Um, before you step in the real world. And Dillard University will grab you by the hand, walk you through, and mold you into being a good person, a good businessman, a good husband, a good wife. And for that reason, I would choose Dillard University. Chris, I appreciate you being on the show. Uh, I, I, I don't think you could have summed it up any better. Uh, but what I, what I want to do before we uh, conclude the show, I want to present you with our HBCU Lifetime Achievement Award for your continued commitment to historically black colleges and universities and to your uh, success as a businessman and entrepreneur. Uh, I appreciate you being on the show and taking time out your busy schedule to share with my viewers your experiences. And to my viewers, I want to thank you for watching this episode of HBCU. I'm your host, D. Brown, CEO. And remember, without you, there's no me.